morning, everyone. We're so thrilled to see the old ones here this morning that we just beside ourselves. Who do you think is them? <laughs> we welcome each and every one of you, and especially our dear family, Neil, Julie, Peter, and Hadley with us today. If you are a visitor here this morning, be aware that there are cards in the uh, on the pulpit there where the hymnals are. If you wish, you may fill one of those out, leave it beside you, and the ushers will get it, or you may put it back on the box on the wall. We're fine. Today, uh, they had the annual Pollock Campground Association offerings, and there are envelopes available if you would like to, to use that. They have them in the, in the North X. Uh, Wednesday night, Carvin Adams will be leading our prayer meeting. So we'll be sure and remember him. And the children and the youth will be having their classes. And also, the following Wednesday night, the Wednesday night of our camp meeting in Pollock, there will be no service here. That will be the first night in the, in, of the camp meeting, so you're welcome to join that. Next Sunday, 4th of July service will also be with Carvin Adams. We'll be looking forward to that. And at 3 o'clock, there will be a singing at the guest house if you would like to join in on that. Also, I had an uh, announcement to make that was really wonderful. Kathy gave me a notation that on the sale yesterday for the youth, they had received $3,441.02. <laughs> and there is all, there's more money that will be coming in, so that's really a blessing. You can either give it to Patrice or me, it doesn't matter. We'll put it in the bank for the young people. That's great. I wanted to read a scripture to you this morning that I had come across this week that I thought was worth sharing. It's from Isaiah 12, verses 1 through 6. In that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Thou, through thou what's angry with me, excuse me, Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, Declare his doings among the people, and make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. So great are you, Lord. Let's join together.
notified that Dion Boozer, uh, Chambly is her last name, has a prayer request. She's healing from pneumonia, and she would appreciate our prayers very much. And also, there'll be a, a birthday celebration for Lonnie Swan, his happy 97th birthday, Saturday, July the 2nd, at 3 to 4.30 at the guest house. So if you're out and about, I know he would appreciate you coming by for his birthday party. Thank you, son. Also, I wanted you to make note of the prayer requests, see how many that we have, those that are in dire need. Let's remember each and every one of my young people as they prepare and, and try to earn money for the, their convention and all the attendees that will be going with them. And also, we, Jerry Crane is also needing our prayer. John Spires is coming along at, at the... Um, Rehab Center, but he needs our prayers. Kenneth McConnell, uh, a journey with cancer again. Royce Lowry, Lonnie Swan, Larry Lawson, Brian Farrell, our country and leaders, and those traveling and those seeking employment and our missionaries. And we also want to remember our congregation in searching for a pastor. I think that is a great need that we all need to remember. There needs not, need not be an introduction to Neil this morning, which is also thrilled to have him here. So maybe we turn it over to you. Good morning. Good to see all of you. And if I haven't hugged your neck yet, then don't leave without hugging it because I'll be mad. Um, wanted to, I don't know, prayed about what to share today and um, even in the aftermath of kind of a tumultuous time for y'all and kind of a roller coaster ride probably emotionally as a church and that kind of thing and um, I don't know I ended up where I ended up and it's, it probably doesn't make sense but I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will uh, speak to you what you need to hear today as an individual and as a church um, sometimes when we are feeling you know, wounded or afflicted in some way, then it's good to remember the words of our Lord and Savior who said, come to me. Come to me. Uh, there was an ancient warrior in Scripture who was uh, afflicted. He was not a man of God either, and yet God showed mercy to him. His name was Naaman. And some, some of you may be familiar with the story of Naaman, but it's interesting to me to think about those times. And we're told that this guy was a great warrior, which in that time period, you know, would look a lot different than warriors of our time period, right? Uh, that they didn't have bulletproof vests, and they didn't even have bullets. Um, it was an uglier situation, right? It was um, swords and spears and arrows and hand-to-hand -hand combat and uh, frankly I wouldn't want to meet any warrior from that era in the street. I think they were a, another breed <laughs> than we are. Probably pretty tough. 
pretty tough guys. And this guy was apparently one of the best of the best because he led the armies of Aram. And Aram was a neighboring nation of Israel. And uh, it seems from the story that the king of Aram was, at least at this stage, a little bit, maybe he was older in years, or maybe he had been wounded and just struggled physically, but he relied heavily on Naaman as his right-hand man, as his chief warrior, and Naaman delivered time and again, and we're told that they would come in and defeat Israel, and they would take plunder, they would even take people from Israel, and amongst Naaman's household was this servant girl. Um, who we would say was kidnapped from Israel, right? When they went and did battle against Israel, they took people away sometimes. And there's this little girl in his household um, that was an Israelite girl, had grown up in Israel. And one day, Naaman woke up, and I don't know if he looked in the mirror, probably not. They didn't have a lot of great mirrors back then, just kind of polished metal. Probably looked at his wife, and she looked at him and said, Ah! That's what I think probably happened. He had some kind of skin thing going on, some patches of white or something that flaky and it didn't look right. And this was a thing back then that was very mysterious to them. Diseases like leprosy that were oftentimes bacterial diseases that wouldn't show up for three, five years even after exposure. So it just would come out of the blue and they felt like, you know, it, it was a cursed thing that if you had this happen and they had to ostracize you from society and, and you were in a bad way. And so this affected Naaman, it affected his whole household, right? They would, be, they would fall from grace because of this skin disease. How could he be the king's right-hand man if he had this skin disease? And of course, the king felt the loss because this was his mighty warrior. This was his guy that was um, taking care of his kingdom. And interestingly, this young girl uh, spoke to uh, Naaman's wife, perhaps, is, and said, you know, if my master would just, if he only had access to the man of God in Israel, he could be made well. Well, they hear this, and I guess they're grasping at straws, and they think, okay, well, if there's some guy in Israel that can help us, then uh, let's do that. And so Naaman goes and tells the king about it, and he and the king devise this plan, and they say, okay, here's millions of dollars equivalent to our day. Uh, I read this week that it's about that the money that the king sent him with was equivalent to a year's labor for 600 laborers. So if you do the math of... You know, 600 people's salaries in our day and time for a year. He handed that to Naaman and said, take that with you to Israel. Take this letter from me to the king of Israel who's scared to death of us. And I'm going to just spell it out for him. He heals you or else. Okay? And, and they make this plan. He goes down there and presents his letter to the king. Heal me or else. And I have all these gifts, so if you make it happen, this can be yours, you know, and we won't come kill you. Today. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow is a different story. Uh, so, the king doesn't know how to heal leprosy, turns out. And it was not one of Israel's finest kings. Uh, it was not known as a man of God. He tore his clothes in grief at the fact that he had been put in this impossible position. You ever feel like you've been put in an impossible position and you want to just rip something? Well, he ripped his clothes and was anguished. And this news made it out to the kingdom that the king was in despair because he was being threatened and couldn't... How is he supposed to heal this guy of leprosy? Who can even do that? You know? Well, word gets to the prophet of God, Elisha, and he says to the king, Why are you weeping? Is there no prophet in Israel? Send the guy to me. I mean, what are you doing, man? And so the king sends Naaman on his way. And he comes to Elisha's house with his gifts and his money and all this. And he stands at the door and waits for Elisha to come out. And wave his hands and do some kind of incantation and maybe play some music and, you know, do a big production. Uh, you know, I don't know what he had in mind. Something crazy. And then the leprosy would go away and then Naaman would hand Elisha all the money and go on his way. 
Instead, Elisha sends out a messenger, a servant of his household, and the servant says, uh, my master says you should go down to the Jordan River, wash yourselves, take seven baths in the Jordan River, and you'll be fine. And Naaman is mad. Uh, it's like if I wanted to take a bath, I've got better rivers for that back home than this dingy little Israelite river. And he starts heading home in a fury. Well, his servants, you know, see reason a little bit. And they're like, you know, we've come all this way. I mean, what's the harm in taking seven baths while we're here? <laughs> you know, what if it works? And so Naaman relents and he goes and he takes seven baths and the rest is history. And I was thinking about how Naaman approached his problem and how we tend to approach our problems, you know, when we're not well, which none of us are. We at least all have this common sickness that has afflicted us down through the ages called sin. And we have this challenge of uh, the sickness of our souls. It manifests itself in different ways in different ones of our lives. For some of us, it's an attitude struggle that we have. For some of us, it's an addiction to something, whether it's sugar or a substance or whatever. We, we struggle with our flesh and we have this affliction of our souls. Um, for others of us, it may be even something more akin to what Naaman dealt with. Or uh, sometimes as a church, like we mentioned earlier, we feel afflicted. Like, what is going on here? And why are we in the situation that we're in? And our tendency, like Naaman, is to attack the problem the way we attack the problem in the world. We like to be in control and we like to use the resources that are available to us to make it happen, right? So, what did Naaman do? He leaned on influence and power, right? Uh, if, who you know. You know, if you just know the person that can get you the resources to fix your problem. You know, it's, uh, well, I know this rich guy, or I know this powerful guy, or I know the senator, or I'm going to write the president, or I mean, whatever. Like, I'm going to go to someone who has the power to fix this for me. Uh, another thing that we do is uh, throw money at it, right? If we just have enough money, we can buy a solution to our problem. And nowadays, um, you know, we often lean on technology, science, medicine, those kinds of things. You know, we, there's a doctor for that. If we can just find the right doctor, if we can just find the right medicine, if we can just figure out the right thing, you know, if we can find the right pastor or whatever, you know, if we can just make it work um, the way that the world says we should make it work. And usually our idea of what it's going to look like is pretty impressive, right? We're going to find the right medicine and it's just going to be like the next morning we wake up and we just... I feel great. Man, where has this medicine been all my life, right? But reality doesn't usually work that way, does it? In reality, sometimes when we call on God for help, it doesn't look impressive the way he works. It often has nothing to do with money or power or influence. Sometimes it's even really impersonal. I thought about that as, as you think about like Naaman came to the man of God and expected the man of God to meet with him and instead gets a message, go bathe in the Jordan River. I thought, you know, that reminds me of times in my life where I've sought the Lord and he worked it out, but it wasn't in the way that I wanted. You know, I wanted him to show up in some mighty way and me to experience the presence of God in that moment and to be delivered from whatever it was I was dealing with and I can say thank you God for showing up I mean a lot of times instead it's this like messenger gets sent and says go take seven baths I'm like really yeah. sometimes the way God works like I said we're not well but we often kid ourselves that we are 
Naaman was in a situation where he had a disease that he couldn't kid himself about because no one was willing to be around him as long as he had this disease. But for our main problem in our culture of sin that we deal with and struggle with, it has been so normalized in our society that it's easy to pretend that we're well when we're not. And so that's one of my questions as we begin today, and yes, we're still beginning. I haven't gotten to preach to you all in a while, so we'd take a while here, if you don't mind. Uh, one of the questions as we begin is, do you want to be well? And do you recognize that you, know, you need to be well in your soul? There's this tendency we have, I heard this analogy, it's troubling, but rings true. That many of us are a lot like an anorexic person who starves themselves of what would give them health and then looks in the mirror and says, oh, how beautiful. And they're just this emaciated creature. And this is such a good depiction of our society. We have such wealth and we have great clothes and we look nice and we drive nice cars and we have all the things and all the comforts and we do have the medicines and the access to the doctors and all these things that we have and we look at ourselves and say look at how well we are you know and um, but I wonder if from heaven's perspective you'd say you're so unwell would you come to me Jesus says. Do you want to be well was something that Jesus would ask people before he healed them, wasn't it? And I would so often read that question and say, well, Jesus, duh. <laughs> of course they want to be well, but it's not so easy, is it? Not every sick person wants to be well. There's fear of being well sometimes. And when unwell has become so normal and comfortable, then the thought of wellness and what that might require of us or what that might look like can feel uncomfortable and uncertain. And sometimes what Jesus asks of us to become well feels really, ah, you know, ineffective. It looks, it doesn't look like the things that our world would say would be effective, you know. When we're in a time of discouragement, what our world would prescribe often looks very different from what God would prescribe. And what God would prescribe sometimes just feels like, we're, what are we even doing? How is this going to help? <laughs> How is this going to address the problem? And so as we begin to talk about what God invites us into today, when we find ourselves unwell in some way, shape, or form, I want you to be wrestling with this idea of do I want to be well and do I want to be well en enough that I would engage in God's solutions even when they seem maybe boring or abnormal or ineffective. Uh, today's passage is John chapter 15 and I'm just going to read this one verse of it to you. But in this passage, John 15, uh, the first part of that chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about being the vine and of us being the branches. So maybe you're familiar with this analogy. Maybe you've heard it even preached on before. Jesus saying, my father is the owner or the tender of the vineyard, right? He takes care of the vineyard and I am the true vine. And anyone who's in me, connected to me, they are the branches, they're my followers. And if you stay connected to me, then you'll bear a lot of fruit. You'll be fruitful. If you're not connected to me, you won't bear fruit. And, and then he goes through kind of this analogy of how a vineyard, you know, the vineyard dresser or tender of the vineyard would come through. And if there's a branch that wasn't fruitful, you would cut it off so that the fruitful branches can get more of the nutrients that they need, you know. And if it is a fruitful branch, you do some pruning there so it can be even more fruitful. And there's this process in agriculture that happens, and specifically with vines, that was a helpful way of thinking about the kingdom and about life with Christ. And so in John 
15 verse 5 he says I am the vine you are the branches and he who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit or she bears much fruit you guys are included too for apart from me you can do nothing that's humbling (laughs) there's a word for us today a little word of encouragement you can't do anything apart from him Anything of lasting worth, right? There's lots of things we can do and lots of things we can build and places we can go and things we can accomplish that are here today and will be gone tomorrow. I think of all of our technological advancements and lately it's been um, more noticeable, maybe for all of us, how quickly all of that could fall apart. Right? When we have electrical outages across great swaths of this country during an ice storm, you know, and all of a sudden no one has heat, no one has internet, no one has all those things that are so fancy and nice and, and helpful and that we do, have come to depend on so much. And There's little that we can do of lasting value, perhaps even nothing we can do of lasting value apart from Christ. And so he invites us and says, I'm the vine and you are the branches and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So I want to talk about fruit, and I want to talk about abiding for a minute. What is this fruit of which Jesus spoke? Uh, If you had asked me this question years ago, I would have described like a productivity for the kingdom that I thought Jesus was talking about. Like, you know, building effective churches and ministries and um, raising money for missions and these things that sound important and valuable and you know we're going to bear fruit we're going to go and we're going to do and we're going to you know make things happen and it's going to look impressive and the more that i've read though about what god seems to think of as fruit and what heaven's perspective on fruit is well i mean it's spelled out for us right the fruit of the holy spirit the fruit of the spirit of god that's born in our lives looks like love and joy peace patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control, these things are the fruit that God is looking for I believe this is what he's talking about when he says that we are to be salt and light in this world that we are to be of a nature that just by simply being in the world we flavor the world a different flavor just by simply interacting with other people as changed beings we shed light in the darkness we are fruitful because of what he is growing in us and through us I think it has very little to do with our efforts and our productivity. Much that the world celebrates as greatness, I think heaven just has a very different perspective on because heaven has an eternal perspective. Heaven is less impressed with what we can do in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years than what happens over the course of thousands of years of faithful generations salt and light in the world bearing love and joy and peace into the world in our everyday lives this is fruit and if we're honest that's the fruit that we want it's what we desire it's what we're missing it's why we feel unwell it's because we're missing love somewhere we're missing joy Or we're missing peace. We are not at peace. We are anxious and worried and despairing and sick in our souls all too often. We feel anger and frustration and all these things that well up in us that we want to be free of. And so Jesus says, Come and abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. 
That's the thing about the branch. It's not really doing a lot, is it? It just hangs out on a trellis. And then it bears fruit. It's not putting forth a whole lot of effort other than staying connected. (laughs) If it doesn't stay connected, it can't bear much fruit. So let's talk about abiding because Jesus says that if you abide in him, it's like you're staying connected to the vine and you will bear much fruit. So I think we need to give some thought to what does it look like to abide in Jesus. That word is often also translated remain or stay. It's this connection, a living in the Spirit, a walking by the Spirit, with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, There's walk with the Spirit. There's all these different ways that the New Testament writers have talked about staying connected with Jesus. Because Jesus is not here in person anymore. So his disciples... Uh, stayed connected to him when he was here on earth by walking with him, right? And not everyone who desired the fruit of following Jesus were willing to leave everything and connect to him and walk with him. We know this too. Uh, But then Jesus ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit and now that looks totally different because we can't go follow him around the countryside anymore. We've got to learn to connect with him spiritually. And this is a great challenge for us in our day and time because we don't live in a world, in a culture that acknowledges the spiritual very much. We're a very material-minded world, right? Very consumed with the physical world and what we can see under microscopes or through telescopes and what we can study and lay our hands on. And, and <laughs> this, is, this is what we are interested in as a culture. And so it's a challenge for us to think about spiritual things sometimes and how to engage with a spiritual being. But there are ways of doing this that have been known for a long time. And sometimes in recent years theologians and pastors and teachers have called these things spiritual disciplines. And I want to read to you a paragraph by a guy named Richard Foster who was a great champion of spiritual disciplines when he looked around our society and saw that People didn't know how to follow Jesus. You know, people didn't know how to connect with Jesus, how to abide in the vine. And so he began to teach about the old and ancient ways of living and formational habits that people used to know and maybe are forgotten somewhat in our culture. And he said this about them. He said, Spiritual disciplines are the main way we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We are doing what we can do with our bodies, our minds, our hearts. And God takes this simple offering of ourselves and does with it what we cannot do. Producing within us deeply ingrained habits of peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes when I talk about spiritual disciplines, I get the criticism, if I get criticism back, is oftentimes, well, that can lead to works. You know, that salvation by works, that we're going to do these things, these habits, these disciplines, and this is going to earn us salvation. Um, There is a, a risk in anything that sin can warp just about anything we endeavor to do. But to me, it would be a little bit like saying you shouldn't eat because that can lead to gluttony. Yeah, it could, but if you want to live, you know, you're probably going to need to eat something at some point. And I feel like disciplines are the same way. Yes, they can be twisted by sinful hearts, and so it's something to be aware of and cautious of. But they're how we connect to the Holy Spirit, and so to not connect with the Holy Spirit in case it became a legalistic thing or in case it became something we thought we were doing instead of his Holy Spirit doing um, well that would be silly as not eating food in Jeremiah the prophet uh, he once said these words he said this is what the Lord says stand by the ways the roads and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it And then you will find a resting place for your souls. 
It's a, a sentiment that Jesus echoed when he said, Come to me and find rest, right? Jesus engaged in many of those ancient ways. We see them in his life. How he would constantly get away with the Father. To stay connected, right? When Jesus said, stay connected to me, abide in me, he was asking us as his disciples to do what he had done with the Father, his whole ministry. And if Jesus, our Lord and Savior, fully human and fully divine, needed to practice a discipline of connecting with the Father, abiding with the Father, staying in step with the Father, then surely we need to do the same. And even more so. To figure out these ancient ways of life that are now so often forgotten. I find that people struggled to practice what was even practiced a few generations ago. You know, like, perhaps if you had a person of faith in your life who lived a generation or two ago that you got to witness, or maybe you heard stories about, you may have heard things about them like, like that they would have a place they would go to pray, or they would get away from the noise of the world, which how much less noisy was their world than ours. And yet they had to find a place to get away. I've heard this story of, uh, I believe it was John Wesley's mother. If you're familiar with John and Charles Wesley, these uh, hymn writers and preachers of a couple centuries ago, and they, um, their mother, you, if you can imagine little houses in that day with little kids running around and uh, not a lot of rooms maybe for prayer closets and things like that so her place was under her apron <laughs> so the story goes that she would pull the apron up over her head and if the kids saw that they knew mama was praying leave her alone and this was her quite this was her place to get away with the lord and connect with the Lord. Well, how much more do we need places like that today where we can go and habitually, daily, connect with the Lord? Perhaps you knew of people who spent lots of time in the Word and you'd see their Bible, maybe even. Maybe you even have a family Bible that was handed down and it's tattered and worn because they turned through those pages so many times. Perhaps you had ancestors in your faith who had committed large sections of Scripture to memory, hidden God's Word in their hearts so they could treasure it and think on it as they went down the road or as they plowed the field or as they did whatever they did. These are ancient ways, ancient paths we so, that uh, so many of us, unfortunately, have forgotten about or see little use for today. Because we have apps for that. <laughs> right? We have uh, things to do, shows to watch, games to go to, and the list goes on and on. We're a busy people, busy about many things, but we have forgotten how to live life in the Spirit. Walking in step with the Spirit. think that in a culture that places so much value on what is new the latest, right? We want the latest medicine, the latest fix, the latest technology if it's not new or if studies haven't recently shown that it works then we, you know, not for us and so sometimes I think we tend to place too little value on the ancient ways, the proven ways that have been proven down through millennia by people of faith. And so often those ways not only seem old and worn and forgotten, but what we do know of them doesn't seem very glamorous, does it? Doesn't seem very exciting. Sounds like a lot of work. And it made me think about Naaman. Bathing in the Jordan River. Not once. Not twice. Not three times. Not four times. Five times six times. 
seven times the same thing over and over. And not glamorous, not impressive, not immediate in its results. Seven times. And this is how those habits are sometimes when we try to abide in Jesus. And in fact, as I've connected these two teachings, these two, or the story with this teaching of Jesus in my mind, I started wondering as I read through John 15, because Jesus keeps saying, abide in me, abide in me, as I abide in the Father, abide in me. And I wondered how many times does he tell us to abide in him? And I counted it up, and it's seven times. <laughs> abide in me. Abide in me. And it's this thing of like, stick with it. If the first six times you don't see any progress, stick with it. And that there's something about the nature of this abiding in Jesus that might feel redundant to us sometimes. Really, every day I'm going to get up and get on my knees before the Lord. Really, every day I'm going to read scripture. Every day I'm going to work on this. Every day I'm going to practice this same habit. You know, people used to fast every week. Multiple times a week even. People of faith. In fact, speaking of John Wesley, there's this great quote where he's bemoaning the state of Christianity in his day. And he said, people aren't even fasting once a month anymore. <laughs> John, if you'd see today. Many of us have never fasted a day in our life. You know? <laughs> the ancient ways are lost on us. And yet Jesus still calls, abide in me. Abide in me. It's not glamorous. It's not pretty. It can seem redundant. It can seem repetitive. It can seem boring. But the fruitful life that you and I desire is found in the faithful work of abiding. I'll say that again. I'll read it again. The fruitful life that you desire is found in the faithful work of abiding. The rest for your soul that you desire is found in the faithful work of abiding. The peace of mind that can be yours in spite of life's circumstances that are good one day and bad the next. Or as Larry Worsham would say, one day chicken, the next day feathers. Right? To have peace in spite of that. That's found in the faithful work of abiding. To live a life that trusts in God's overarching governance for the good, in spite of what we see in the headlines, and in spite of what we see going on around us, this is found in the faithful work of abiding. And never underestimate the power of one life abiding in Jesus, of one church abiding in Jesus. Never underestimate the power because salt and light impacts everything it touches. Doesn't it? Whether it wants to or not, <laughs> just by virtue of its existence, it does. You sprinkle some salt on your food and it will change the flavor by its mere existence. You turn on a flashlight in a dark room and that room will be different by the mere existence of that light. And so it is that we can never, we should never underestimate the power of one faithful life or one faithful church that abides in Jesus, that stays connected to him. So I want to offer kind of three things for you as we wrap this up. One, would you, if you haven't, enroll yourself as a student of Jesus? The application process is pretty simple and the fees are pretty small. 
but the commitment that it requires is there. I guess one of my questions for us is many of us know Jesus as Savior and Forgiver. This has been much celebrated by the church. I'm not sure how many of us believe that Jesus is the ultimate expert on our lives. That no one, no scientist, no guru, no YouTube genius (laughs) knows more about how to live the good life than Jesus. No one can teach you better how to live than Jesus. Do you believe this? And if so, then we must also come to see Jesus not only as Savior and Forgiver, but also as Master and Teacher and Lord, whose ways are right and true. Ask yourself if Jesus were to have his way in me, or even if Jesus were to live my life and do my job and put up with my family, (laughs) how would he do it? What would it look like? Ask him to teach you. Enroll in his school. The second thing I would suggest is once you've enrolled as a student of Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to sit at your feet and learn how to live well, then you begin to cultivate habits that keep your focus coming back again and again to God. We want God to be kept at the forefront of our minds increasingly and every day. There's so many distractions, right, in life. If you sat down, like go home after you eat dinner, sit down and determine that you're going to think about God and the next thing you know you're going to be thinking about a Snickers candy bar or you'll just be snoring in your chair. Our minds struggle with focusing on anything, right? And so this is one of the things where we have to be intentional if we want to abide in Jesus, uh, cultivating habits that help us keep turning our attention back to God. And it can be simple things. You can be creative with it. Maybe it's a sticky note on your mirror that reminds you, oh yes, God. Maybe it's a habit of the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you do when you go to bed at night. And the thing that you do at lunch or whatever. Like build in routines, right? A life that constantly helps you and reminds you to turn your attention back to the Lord. And I believe that we can increasingly do this. That we can increasingly get used to turning our minds back to God in any and every circumstance until our lives and our minds are a little bit like a compass, right? That spin it around, but eventually that thing's going to whoop right back to north, you know? I don't think I made it around. <laughs> Sorry, I had to you know, point out north because sometimes when I hear someone talk about a direction, said, yeah, it's over there to the east or whatever, and they point the wrong way, and I'm like, I can't hear anything else they said. Like, I don't think that's... <laughs> so. Lastly, as we begin, decide whether you want to be well. Decide whether you want to be well. It's worth wrestling with because it's not as obvious an answer as we think. If you don't wrestle with that question on the front end, what you'll do is you'll find yourself bored or frustrated with the abiding process down the road and you'll fall by the wayside. You'll give up because it's not comfortable, because it doesn't seem to be working Even maybe because wellness, you're not sure what that feels like or looks like and it's unknown and unwellness is known. We have this crazy tendency as human beings, don't we, to cling to the known even if it's killing us. Determine whether you want to be well. 
and then determined to abide. Because the fruitful life that you desire and that I desire is found in the faithful work of abiding. There's a song that Julie and I want to share with you that we've come to love over the last year. It's called Abide, and so I thought it would fit this message. But let me say a prayer for you first. Father in the heavens, thank you for being with us. For loving us, for being attentive to us. Lord, we are reminded that you are God over all and you reign above it all. And your goodness to us is beyond question. It has been demonstrated beyond the shadow of a doubt in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King. And now, Father, we come and we commit ourselves to the life that you would have for us, that you created us for, that's found in staying connected to the vine. And we confess to you, Lord, how distracted we become by material things, by lesser things, by the noisy distractions of our planet the society that we live in today that has discarded and set away, set aside your ways. May we be a people who learn afresh and anew what it means to abide. I pray that you would rise up, raise up from the people in front of me spiritual warriors, healthy and whole, salt and light people who are committed to prayer as the saints of old committed to your word as the saints of old may you find our generation faithful in these days and may our lives bear fruit of eternal consequence pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I depend on you. 
truth and the life. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Be my strength, my song in the night. Be my all, my treasure, my prize. just to abide. Holy Spirit, come, teach us to abide. Sing that again with us. Holy Spirit, come, teach us to closing prayer. We're so glad that each of you chose to come today and that we will help one another with through love to be able to abide in Christ. We pray that you have a good week and that you go in peace. <laughs>